Welcome to the Teaching Middle School ELA Podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Mitchell and Jessica Kanata. If you're looking for ways to bring rigor and engagement to your middle school ELA classroom without sacrificing your nights and weekends, then this podcast is for you. Our goal is to provide you with your weekly dose of tips, tools, and inspiration so you can actually enjoy teaching again. We'll help you bring the fun and creativity to your ELA lessons so that your students master the standards and you can leave school when the bell rings. Get ready to be that teacher you've always wanted to be to do great work and thrive. Well, I am so excited to welcome my good friend, Melissa from Reading and Writing Haven to the podcast today. Thanks so much for joining us, Melissa. How's it going? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Before we get started talking about reading logs, which I know is kind of um, a contentious topic for some people, um, and I love your perspective and what you're going to share with our audience today. Can you let everyone know like a little bit more about you, what you do, your background? That'd be great. Sure. Yeah. So um, for 11 years, I taught middle and high school ELA, which I loved. Um, But more recently, I've transitioned into the role of an instructional coach, which means that I get to work with um, virtually all the content area teachers and students in a variety of classes. Um, And so I do a lot with like disciplinary literacy and just how reading and writing can happen in um, all content areas. I have a master's in curriculum and instruction and um, a reading specialist certification, which is one of the reasons why this topic is, um, uh, I guess, why I'm passionate about it. Yeah, I love that. So you're teaching, you're helping teach other subjects too, other than English? Yeah, which is super fun. Yeah, (laughs) I guess I dip my toes into math and science and history standards. I've even been doing some PE this year. So, oh my gosh, um, how fun. It's a challenge, but I love the variety. Yeah, I'm sure. I couldn't imagine teaching science or history was really hard for me. I taught fifth grade for one year. So I was, you know, like the only teacher and it was hard for me to go from being a high school English teacher to teaching all of these different subjects in fifth grade. I was like, I need to go back to middle school and just teach one subject. (laughs) Yeah, that's a huge change. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's dive into the topic of reading logs. So if you can give our listeners like a little bit of background information, like what are reading logs, maybe how are people using them if they're still using them in their classroom and what it is about reading logs that maybe you don't necessarily like. Sure. So um, a a reading log is, this is how, there are different forms of reading logs, but the one that I'm talking about is where students will um, write down like what the title of the book is that they're reading, what page number that they end on, um, and then maybe like a one sentence summary or something, I'm at the part where blah, blah, blah. Um, And a lot of times those are assigned for homework. So students will be expected to read for X amount of minutes at home, fill out their reading log, and a parent has to sign it, and they bring it home, or they bring it back to school, and then they get a grade for doing that every day for a long time sometimes. And um, as a parent and as a teacher, I guess I see that there are some problems with that approach to trying to get kids to love reading. Um, I think that the intention behind them is not all bad. You know, I think that reading logs are probably a way to motivate kids to read, but I think more 
harm comes than good Mm -hmm. from that approach. And there are some other approaches that we could try, but I just want to like blanket everything that we're going to talk about today with the caveat of, you know, some people like bullet bullet journal type people really like keeping a list of what they're reading and how many pages they read. And so I don't think that that practice is inherently wrong. I just think that it's detrimental when we force all students to Mm -hmm. use that because I don't think it serves students. I think it serves us as teachers and to them, to students, it feels more like this um, uncomfortable layer of accountability that's awkward and not natural to the reading process. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because I vividly, I have very few memories for whatever reason. I just don't have a great memory. One of my most vivid memories from grade school is reading logs and forging my mom's signature <laughs> on them and making up my minutes. I just lied about things and I liked reading. You know, I wasn't a bad reader. I was just like, I'm not doing this. And I guess that maybe is a little bit of my personality coming through, but I, it really did not serve me well as a, as a student at all. Exactly. And I think I have similar memories. We used to have this thing called um, a book it that would come home and it would have like during the month of October, it would have ghosts for every day of the month. And so you had to sit down and fill out a ghost for how many pages you read or how many minutes you read and your parents had to sign it. And I do feel like it it just is not effective. It almost made me feel like I couldn't read when I wanted to read. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't read before bed because I wasn't going to bring the ghost paper to bed with me. And then as I was like dozing off on (laughs) a part of the book, I wasn't going to like wake up and be like, oh, I didn't fill out my ghost yet. You know, Right, right. It was just awkward. Or if I wanted to read in a car or at the doctor's office, I didn't have my ghost paper with me. So it almost became like a homework assignment rather than I'm a reader for life. Yeah. It totally changed the intention of what it is that you were supposed to be doing, you know, developing this love of reading over time. So then why do you think reading logs have become so popular? Like, what is it that we've clearly used them for a long time? You and I are, you know, in our thirties, but why are they still being used in schools today? Do you think? Well, I think as I said earlier, I think that a lot of times it does come from a place of good intentions where we want to motivate students to read. But in the process of doing that, I think we create this extrinsic motivator um, and and something that is like a tangible, I I assigned reading and I want proof that you're doing it. And so if you fill this out and your parent signs it, that means that you must have done it. Mm -hmm. But as you mentioned earlier, and I saw this um, post on Twitter earlier this month, and it just said like reading logs were the place I first learned to lie. <laughs> you know, if parents are busy reading log, reading logs assume that all students have um, a support system at home where they would be able to have that reading log filled out. And it, it just ends up being this thing that is filled out, you know, like on the morning that it's due or something Mm -hmm. that that ends up frustrating students. So it is a layer of accountability. And I think it's intended to like involve parents in the the process of independent reading at home um, and to motivate students. I just don't think that it's the best. Yeah. Yeah. So with that being said, what can we maybe do instead? Like, do you have different tips for reading logs or like a different take on them? Like, how can we hold students accountable for their reading? How can Mm -hmm. we motivate them to read? And then how can we create like this love of reading, this culture of reading in our classrooms with our students? Okay. So, um, I have like 5 million blog posts on this. So I'll try to like (laughs) condense it to 10 minutes. (laughs) Um, 
We have to start by zooming out and taking that extrinsic motivator and moving it internally, right? And so in order to do that, we have to involve students in the metacognitive process of what it means to be a reader and to have a reading identity and to grow, you know, to set goals for ourselves and to truly like want to read. Um, An analogy would be if you're a person who hates to run, right? There's a lot of people out there who hate to run. (laughs) Okay. So if I were your, your running teacher and I said to you, um, you have to run every single day and I want you every single day to write down how many minutes you ran for or how many miles you ran, but you had never run before, um, habitually in your life. Me telling you to do that doesn't mean that you're actually going to start running, right? You might try it a little bit, a little bit here, a little bit there, um, but you're going to probably fudge whatever goes on that log. And so instead of doing that, and the same with readers, we have to get kids to understand the language of what it means to be a reader, why reading independently is beneficial, just as we would with running. Um, So we can do things at the beginning of the year or wherever you are in your school year when you're ready to start this process um, by building this culture, like talking about reading stamina. So how long can you sit down and read um, and stay focused independently, right? Because that's actually a standard, whether you can read independently and proficiently um, at your grade level. And so one of the things you can do is like start to time. How long is a class you can focus on reading without interruptions or need to check your iPad or need to go to your locker? Um, and the same thing I think is true. It mimics what we do in life. Like how long can we read a book before the dings of social media on our smartphone distract us, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so I think it's about focus and it's about finding books that we love. So stamina is one thing, um, talking about frequency, So as teachers, we can create a culture where every day we read in class, Mm -hmm. right? And that's where it starts. That's where we can get our foot in the door to helping kids find books they like, to talking with them about books, getting them to talk with each other, which is what we do when we're excited about books as adults, right? If you read a really good book that you love, you're going to want to talk to a friend. Oh my gosh, I read this really good book. You have to read this book too. Those conversations won't happen if we're just assigning the outside of school homework and not giving space to start that work in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did that actually in my classroom as well. Um, and we teach our teachers in our EB teachers club to do this with their students too, is wherever you can. And I know it's really hard. Some teachers have like 42 minute class periods, you yes. know, mm-hmm. um, that we highly, highly suggest that they set aside, you know, 10, 15 minutes of reading every single day in their classrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, because for a lot of students, that might be the only time in their day that they are given the opportunity to read or that they're shown how important reading is. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I loved it. I sat and read with my students to model for them, you know, Mm -hmm. that I'm a reader Mm -hmm. too. And I would share about my book and ask them to share about their books. And I know you probably have some suggestions around that too. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just made reading not this like monumental task that we had to take on every day. It just became Mm -hmm. this habit that we created over time um, that I think is so important. And and I'm so glad that there are teachers like you who are sharing this information with others because my husband is not a reader. And it's because he grew up with going to school with Mm -hmm. um, a place that reading wasn't maybe discussed perhaps in the same way that, that you're sharing with us now. And he had to do reading logs and he really hated it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it has taken away from what could be rich stories that he could be interested in reading. And he just doesn't, 
care mm-hmm. to read, you know, and I'm really bummed that that is what happened to him as a result. And I mean, not to say that it's just school there, I'm sure other factors involved in that mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I just don't want that to happen for, for students too, right. you know? Yeah. So yeah. even the most reluctant students, if you give them space and you're, you're noticing, you know, whether they're engaging with a book or not, and you're conferring with them, you're more able to match them up with a book that they really would like and enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I think too, like, getting them to, to think about, well, maybe it's not that you don't like reading. It's that you haven't found the genre of book that you like or a perspective that you really can latch on to. Um, and then just different skills too, like whether or not our classroom culture makes a connection between the reading skill mini lessons and what they're reading independently, you know, tying mm-hmm. those two together. So independent reading doesn't feel like the separate appendage, right? Um, <laughs> that is just like, we do that there, right? The rest of the class is this, they really mm-hmm. can go together well. So, um, just a few different ideas instead of a reading log to keep things a little bit fresh. And I am somebody too, who is a huge proponent of variety. I think that even if you find something that you love, if you do it over and over and over and over, <laughs> eventually you're going to kill it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> too much of anything is not a good thing. Yes. Um, and so one thing is a reading ladder, which is something that I started. I'm a huge, like visual person. So I don't know if you can see this, but just like the ladder is actually not on this one, but like you could have a ladder here on some. Yeah, of my I love ladder. that. So for you everyone could- who's listening, Melissa is showing us, and you guys can go see this over on our YouTube channel. She's showing us the actual visual of what you would use with your students. Like, so does each student get this particular piece of paper? Yep. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Or a okay. version of it. And I have a digital one too, that I give, you know, if kids want to do it, um, on their iPad or whatever, but each shelf would have a different label, right? So instead of giving a reading log, when students either abandon or finish a book, they fill out one of these book spines. Uh, you can even even have them color code the genre. Oh, I love that. You want them to see the diet. So, so they can put- even see like, oh, I'm really more into this type of book. Yeah. Like let's say they put green as fantasy and a lot of their books are green. Well, that's good for them to know, right? Maybe that's okay for you to read all fantasy, but would you like to try some science fiction? Would you like to try some historical fiction? Um, And so each shelf has its own um, descriptor and you can do lots of different descriptors on the shelves, but like mine say the middle one is just right below that is entertaining and the bottom one is boring Mm. and then above just right is challenging and frustrating. And so they would write the book title on the shelf that it would go on. And again, I, I don't think that readers should ever be like, I'm a level Z. Um, you know, <laughs> the leveling system. But I do think it's a pr- it's appropriate for them to be aware of the complexity of the text that they're reading and to mm-hmm. acknowledge this really would be a just right book for me and helping them figure out what it means to have a just right book. Or this book is challenging, but it was worth it to me to read it because my mom loved it when she was younger and she wanted me to read it and it was important to me or whatever. Or this is a book that I could have read when I was in second grade but I just really love it. And the pictures are wonderful. So it's an entertaining book. It didn't challenge me, but I read it. Right. And there's value in all of those. And mm-hmm. so I think kids get a lot more out of a, a reading letter visual like this, and it can be great for conferring conversations. Uh, and it doesn't feel like it's an assignment, you know, sure. just like carve out a few minutes every other Friday for them to update their reading ladder. And so they'll update the reading ladder when they finished or perhaps abandoned a book. Right. And that's what I would do, but you could also do it when they start a book, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. 
then they would, you would have to decide, do I want them to go back and put like an A if they ended up abandoning it or an F if they ended up finishing it? Um, it's just, you could keep track of as much as you wanted to on there. Yeah. I love that. And so it's a single piece of paper that has basically bookshelves on it with different book spines where students fill out the information, depending on what category it falls into on each of those shelves, which a teacher could determine whatever they wanted those categories to be. Um, and so I love that. So that's something students hold on to, um, in their binders or wherever, like a safe place. Like I see it even going in one of those, um, clear plastic sheets that they like put in their binder at Mm -hmm. the front of their binder. And it's like, this is my most important thing that I take with Mm -hmm. me all throughout the year. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's really cool. Yeah. It's like a reader's notebook or a digital portfolio or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of my favorite replacements for a reading log. Um, there's also Donalyn Miller recommends in her book into the wild. Uh, she also wrote the book whisper, but she recommends like status of the class. Mm-hmm. And so you can do this in different ways too, but basically like it, and, um, easy way to do this would be as kids are reading independently, you circulate around the room and you just write down what book they're on and what page number they're on so that you can kind of see. So you're tracking it as the teacher, as opposed to putting the onus on them for all of that. That's how I would do it. You could have them do it. Um, I don't, I don't know. So she says um, that you could do it like calling out attendance. Like when you, when you take attendance, tell me what book you're on, what page number you're on. Um, You could do it when kids walk in the room. I think Pernille Rip on her blog, she mentions you could have like a sign-in sheet where Mm -hmm. before they go sit down, they fill out their sign-in sheet, what book they're reading, what page number they're on. So there's a variety of different ways you could do it. That would just be my preference is as they're reading, I walk around and that way I can see like they were yeah. here yesterday, they're here today and then have a conversation. About yeah. It. That's something that, um, my friend Kara from YA or Riley reads YA. Have you heard of her mm-hmm. before? Yeah. She's her mm-hmm. cute little dog. Um, that she shared with our EB teachers once too, was, was talking about exactly what you're doing of going around the class yourself and mm-hmm. writing the title down and what page number they're on. And I actually kind of like that more. Um, for me as a student, I would have a hard time like sharing publicly where I am, especially mm-hmm. if I didn't make progress, mm-hmm. I'd feel really bad about myself. And I, I think that that would kind of take away from me one, like, you know, some people aren't motivated by that type of competition, mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. others are wildly motivated by that. Right. Um, so I like your take on doing it the way that you just explained as well. Yeah. And I, that's another thing I think we should be careful of with this approach in particular is like not to have a class poster where we keep track of, you know, how many pages has Susie read and how many pages has Tanisha read? Because that is sort of like a, it can be embarrassing and mm-hmm. shaming for students, even if it has good intentions. Yeah. Um, and then, then I would say in 180 days, Gallagher and Kittle write about reading rate goals. So this is a really easy thing to do to get kids in charge of setting their own goals for, for how much they want to read, um, have them read for 10 minutes, and then just count how many pages from where they started to where they ended, and then multiply that times six to get how many pages they would read in an hour. Oh. So if they read five pages in 10 minutes, and they multiply that by six, it's what, 30 pages in an hour. And then you could have them from there, make a goal. Like how many pages would you like to read? And then the next week, come back to it. Did you meet your goal? Why or why not? What factors would have interfered? Well, you, you exceeded your goal. Was it because you're reading a book you're really into and just getting them into that process of setting their own goals for meeting that, 
Um, I like that so much because that makes the goals attainable. You know, when you actually chunk it down and break it down to what is a realistic, reasonable goal for me to read, whereas opposed to if you're like, okay, set a goal for reading for this week. And they're like, "Mm, I don't know, like 200 pages. Like, well, where does that number come from? How long is that actually (laughs) going to take you? You know? Yes. (laughs) And if they create the goal, that's intrinsic for them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's meaningful for them rather than us saying you need to read this pages this week. Talking about all of this actually reminds me, do you use the Noom app? Have you heard of Noom before? No. So it's like this, um, food psychology app that helps people lose weight. And my husband and I started it back in March and it's just so fascinating because it teaches you accountability, but it Mm -hmm. also teaches you that intrinsic motivation with the psychology behind it and like setting Mm -hmm. goals for yourself and checking in every single day. And just, it, it reminds me so much of what you're talking about of holding students accountable, showing them the importance of reading, talking about intrinsic goals and things Mm -hmm. like that for them. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of, uh, overlap in the two. There should be an app for reading like new. (laughs) You can create it. (laughs) I think you could though, like you could apply the same premise to, to like your, your nutrition, your overall health, your exercise, whatever it is that you wanted to do. I think it's just about creating an awareness of what it is you're doing and why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do have one other question. So I think one of the things with, you know, independent reading in class, at least for me as a teacher, I felt like it was daunting. I'm like, how am I going to, to handle all of this? How am I going to keep track of all my students? How am I going to share books with them when I haven't read every single book? I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a teacher listening to this episode or watching this on YouTube, what would you say to them in terms of like the best first place to start to create that culture and love of reading in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So I would say the first place to start, and this is where I started, is just opening up the class with that 10 minutes of reading and that conversation about why it's valuable. And from there, having very small, meaningful conversations with students, whether it's directly following that 10 minutes of independent reading as a whole class, you starting by sharing, wow, this is like something really, really meaningful from what I'm, what I read today. Would anyone else like to share something that you've read or giving them a high interest discussion prompt? Like everyone look in your book. We just finished reading for 10 minutes, find the most important word from what you just read and give them a minute to do that. And then turn and talk, like share with someone, like, why is that the most important part from what you just read and start having those conversations to get that literacy rich culture where kids are excited. It's not work at that point. You know, you're just Mm -hmm. having this conversation. There's so many ways to do that. Um, and giving yourself like, take that off of your shoulders. You do not need to know everything about anything, right? The fact that the kids are reading that book means that they're the experts on that book and they will love having that, that, um, insider's knowledge that they can share with others and making those book recommendations. And if you stick with it and you stay positive, you'll see that over time that grows and so will your, your reading culture Mm -hmm. in the classroom. I love that. That's like a great first stepping stone. That's approachable. That's easy Mm -hmm. to do. I could do that tomorrow after listening Mm -hmm. to this podcast episode. And then I feel like, you know, with any skill, as you get better at it over time, then you can start to add the other things that Melissa's talked about, like, um, the book ladder or like the reading rate goals and things like that. It doesn't all have to be done at once. And I think sometimes that's what we feel as teachers. We're like, Oh, we got to do it all. We got to know how to do everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and that just, 
I think that is excellent advice for, for any teacher who's like, I got to do something different and mm-hmm. make reading, you know, a, a centerfold in my classroom, like something that is so, so important to what I'm doing with my students. Well, and by changing things up, it's like you're, you're modeling for students. Things change with reading. Things change in who you are as a reader. And so you adapt to accommodate for that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think if you start something and you're like, I hate this, then try something else. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. And be open to this. This wasn't working for us. We're going to try this instead now Yep, and get their input. So yeah. it's pretty powerful. I love that. Do you have any last words, anything else that you want to say, or, or you want to just share with where we can find you and more information about reading logs from you or alternatives to reading logs? Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I would just say, if you have any questions, always feel free to connect with me, um, on my Instagram account, reading and writing Haven. You can find me on my blog. Also, I have a contact form there, uh, reading and writing Haven at gmail.com is my email. And I, like I said, I have a post about reading logs, but I also have posts about lots of other reading things. So if you're looking for something in particular, just connect with me and I'd be happy to help get you started on your reading journey. But I would say for every challenge that you would face, whether it's time or not knowing where to start or reluctant students, there is always possible solutions. It's just if we want to get creative and find those. I love that. And the reading ladder that you talked about, is that something they can find on your blog too? Um, yeah, you can also go to my Teachers Pay Teachers store and just search for reading ladder. Um, store is called Reading and Writing Haven. But yes, it is linked on a lot of my reading blog posts too. Perfect. And I'll get that link from you and I can share it with our audience, our listeners in the show notes or wherever they're watching this on YouTube so that they can go click on that and find that valuable piece of information. Well, thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy loving uh, talking about reading. Yes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I thought it was very valuable for our listeners and just, it was not overwhelming. I feel like people can walk away. Teachers can walk away from this and feel like they have a game plan, something that they can do differently to really help develop that love of learning in their classroom. So thank you so much, Melissa. I really appreciate it. 